Today's episode of Locked On MLB is brought to you by Vroom. With Vroom, you can buy a car online entirely and have it delivered straight to you. So you never have to go to a dealership again. So next time you need to buy a car, just grab your phone and go to Vroom.com and check out thousands of great cars. And today, I want you to just check out one great episode of Locked On MLB. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. If you're watching on YouTube, look at that. You can call me Sully. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer with a bunch of very big shows under my belt and some shows you've never heard of under my belt. I've been a filmmaker, a writer, an actor, a comedian. I'm a teacher, and I've also been a... Baseball podcaster for well over a decade. I've been here at the Lockdown Podcast Network since 2019. This is my fourth full season at the Lockdown Podcast Network. And it's been so much fun. Let's make it five next year. But do you know what? You can follow us at Lockdown MLB Pods. Same handle for Instagram and Twitter. I'm your pal Sully. Oh, let me put my lower third back up there. Yeah, you can follow me at Sully Baseball on Twitter. Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. I jumped the gun there. I jumped the proverbial gun, but you know what? I am not jumping the gun by calling our next guest a. Uh, he's one of my he's one of my favorite people to bring on the show. He has been the host of the Locked On Mets podcast for, I think, since the nineteen sixty nine Miracle Mets season. I could be wrong. I may have to do some research on that. Uh, but why ponder when you can just say here is. Ryan Finkelstein. 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 Like Frankenstein, <laughs> it's Finkelstein. Like Frankenstein, it's Finkelstein. It's actually Finkelstein's monster. How you doing, Ryan? Doing good. It's been uh, not since 1969, but but 2019 I, I've been doing the show. As long okay, as you. So you and I have been doing it around the same time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. There you go. Well, um, you got your Mets shirt on, your Mets banner on uh, in the background. Uh, for those of you who are not following, the New York Metropolitans are in first place. And they just took two out of three from the Los Angeles Dodgers in what very well could be a National League Championship Series preview. I personally think the Cardinals are going to be really, really tough this October, but I digress. Well, guess what? If this was an NLCS preview, then it's going to be a great NLCS because this was as advertised. Two tremendous teams played three really tight games, but the Mets walked away with a win in two of them. They did. It was a lot of fun for the Mets. They now won the season series against the Dodgers, four to three. So I, I kind of looked at that and said, "Hmm, well, will the next seven game series be the NLCS, and will the Mets come out on top in the same fashion?" To me, the entire series boils down to one play that I really like. It, it's the one I'll remember more than anything else, and that's Brandon Nimmo robbing that home run to save the game on, on Wednesday night to save the game for Jacob Degrom. Degrom was great. But that would have tied the ball game late. And Brandon Nimble going up and catching it. The atmosphere at City Field has been electric. And in that moment, it really started to feel like this is a special season for the Mets. 
I like that you brought that up because I was I I listened to today's game. It was a day game, but I did watch the the previous night's game. I watched it with the um, local Los Angeles feed here. Uh, I must say it really, really was electric. It was the most electric I've seen City Field since probably since 2016, and it was. I mean, I used to lament the loss of Shea Stadium. And it was many, many years before they put a really good team in City Field. And I kind of, kind of used to grind my teeth at the existence of City Field because I just didn't feel like the Mets. Well, I, I've turned the corner on City Field at least as a, a viewer because the atmosphere there is so intense. It feels like the Mets. It feels like the, the uh, New York energy there, uh, and the fans just love this team. Yeah. And there is a sense that there's something special going on here in Flushing Meadow. Yeah, for sure. I think that this is a franchise that has finally seemingly figured it out under Steve Cohen, and it helps having the $300 million payroll. But this is a, a team with so many likable characters, and you just have things like Edwin Diaz, and you know, a lot's been made about the entrance music. Uh, it's not as special for the fan base if Edwin Diaz isn't the best reliever in baseball, and that's what he's been this year. You right. now have Jacob DeGrom back looking healthy. You have Max Scherzer. You have a team that you know now has these guys that are really good everyday players that we're seeing carry this team at times with Starling Marte, Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonso, Francisco Lindor. That's a really good top four on any team in baseball. So it's all come together for them. And, and now this is the best regular season, I think, in my lifetime. I think the only one that rivals it is 2006. I turned 27 in a couple right. of weeks. So fans uh, of my age are, are watching what we hope to be our 86 Mets. That's how good they've been. Maybe not quite to that level, but they're to have some magic in October. They can rival that type of team. Well, let me just tell you a couple. First of all, I want to bring one thing up about – uh, some people have made uh, have, have tried to poo-poo some of the fun of the live band bringing in uh, Edwin Diaz. Uh, I like what someone responded on Twitter saying uh, a counter argument is uh, life is short. Please have fun. Yeah. Uh, that sometimes, especially relievers, can sometimes flame out. So when you're getting them on a great season, and you can do things like having. Papelbon playing the shipping out to Boston, or you could have the craziness of Brian Wilson in San Francisco. If you could have some fun with it, then freaking have fun with it. You know, I mean, it, you don't know how long Diaz is going to be an elite reliever. And look at how far, like the two pitches I just mentioned right there, how fast they fell off a cliff for Koji Uehara. So when you when they're on a great run like that, enjoy it. Yeah. God forbid, have fun. My God, everyone, just please. Why do the fun police come out? It was a blast when that live band was playing. He came out of the bullpen to his walkout music. And that was, I mean, what, what, how miserable a human being do you have to be to see that going, but uh, Bob Gibson wouldn't have liked that. You know, shut up. I don't yeah, want Bob Gibson doesn't have to approve everything in the world. Yeah, I've been in the ballpark now you know, a couple times this year, and you just feel the energy pick up when that music comes on, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it also does add a little bit uh, uh, to to Diaz's dominance when you're a hitter. They have to sit there and watch this entrance and see the way the crowd gets up for it. It might make you a little more intense too. So 
I, I love it, and uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to hearing you know, Narco play in October this year. Well, let's talk a little bit about today's game because uh, you know, the Los Angeles went ahead early. The Dodgers had the lead, and the Mets came back, and Diaz came out, and it was his second game in less than 24 hours. He did not look like he had his best stuff today. And uh, as a Met fan, when those two deep drives were hit to the warning track, I assume your heart was in your mouth going, boom, 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 because, I mean, I was listening to Howie Rose, and he was almost sound resigned that those balls were going to go out of the ballpark until they were tracked down right at the warning track. And that just would have it would have changed the whole you know tenor of the the game around, maybe even the whole series. Yeah, it's interesting because there's been a couple instances really over the last couple of weeks, I would think, where Diaz hasn't looked quite uh, you know as elite and dominant as we have seen. And then at the same time, he closes off his outing today with a 103-mile-per-hour fastball to strike out Gavin Luck. So it's still in there, and I think I've gotten to the point where I have so much faith in Edwin Diaz that even those fly balls, I didn't think they were going out. And also it did help that Gavin Lux in the previous inning had gifted the Mets a couple of runs not chasing down a pop-up. And so you, if it was a one-run game, I would have been a little more anxious. The fact that the Mets had like a three-run cushion at that point it left right. me a little more calm in that spot. All right. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the place that this Met ha- this Met team has uh, moving forward and what the next couple of weeks, if things go the right way, it could be uh, it could be some padding going on here. But don't get cocky. But first, I want to just bring something up from the NHTSA. Uh, are you one of those people who thinks it's okay to drive stoned? To say, what's the worst that could happen? You end up driving below the speed limit? It's no big deal, right? Wrong. The truth is your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You put not only yourself in danger, but everybody around you. Talk about a buzzkill. So stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, don't get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different you get high, you'll get a DUI. This has been a message from the NHTSA. We are here with Ryan Finkelstein, the host of Locked on Mets. Now, look, at it's it can always be a dangerous thing to look ahead on the schedule and say, that's a win, that's a win, that's a win. Uh, I mean, we saw what happened with Baltimore, who's a good team this year. But last year, they stunk with a capital stink. And they basically derailed the Yankees in many ways. There's always a team that, especially down the stretch, they circle, non-contenders circle the contenders on the calendar and want to play the role of spoiler. And so they do have a bunch of games against the Marlins and the Pirates and some other teams that are not particularly playing well. But you know those teams are gunning for the Mets, and they they don't want to be looked upon as bottom feeders. So the Mets uh, can't coast these next couple of weeks because they really can't afford to. Yeah, they can't afford to. The Braves are on their heels, and the Braves uh, don't have the most difficult schedule either. I think the big difference is the Braves have a West Coast trip still. Uh, they're going to play the Athletics, the Mariners, and the Giants, and obviously the Mariners the best of those three teams, but it's always tough to go out West. And they also still have seven against the Phillies, where the Mets have already wrapped up their season series against Philly, taking 14 
of the 19 games. This Mets team, the one series I'm looking at that I'm nervous about, and I was just looking ahead today on my show, is the Marlins next weekend. Uh, yeah. Because of their pitching and because I've watched enough Mets baseball against the Marlins in September in my lifetime, uh, that's the one series I, I fear a little bit. But overall, you know, the, the Mets have gotten whole now. The, their rotation's healthy. They should be getting Carlos Carrasco back this weekend as well. So they're six deep with their starters, and they're playing a lot of bad teams where I think this is a really good opportunity for them to kind of set themselves up. I, I think that they they should have no problems really – keeping this division lead. And then they got a series against the Braves at the end of September that I'm actually going to be at leading into October. That to me is the series where the Mets could clinch this division if all goes as planned. So we'll, we'll see what they're able to do. I, I do think that things have laid themselves out that the Mets should be fine here. But like you said, you can never really count on it. You got to play the baseball game still. By the way, I just want to bring up about the series against Los Angeles that just ended today. Yeah, This is the best way to take two out of three is lose the first game and then win the next two because there's a sense of confidence you can build. They, especially coming from behind in yeah. today's game, they took two out of three from LA without Max Scherzer pitching any of the games. And that's to me, that's pretty impressive. And look at the, the series they play this weekend. They are in, they're playing Washington. Washington's coming tone. And then uh, Labor Day is against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. So they play Washington. I saw Washington a few weeks ago when I was in Philadelphia. They're a minor league team. Yeah. They're a minor league team. Pittsburgh is a minor league team. Miami has the guy who's inevitably going to win the Cy Young Award in Alcantara. Um but uh, and the and the the Marlins could pitch. Let's. I mean, the Marlins. You could see a three to two loss or a two to one loss in Miami. But then you know the Cubs are a minor league team. The Pirates are a minor league team. And then comes Milwaukee. Going to Milwaukee because that could be them playing for their playoff lives. And they still have Corbin Burns. They still have Woodruff. They still have a pretty decent pitching staff. So, but you have a you know you have tomato cans until Milwaukee. Which may have explained why uh, Showalter used Diaz in back-to-back games, because yeah. it was important for him to win this series before they go off and they start playing a bunch of minor league teams. You can't let up. You can't let these teams play the role of spoiler. That would just be uh, disastrous. Yeah, you can't. And I think in this upcoming series, uh, it, it'll depend on how uh, they want to line it up. But Max Scherzer could start the first game, so they could get this next series off right. And uh, obviously they, they just use Adam on uh, Edwin Diaz Diaz the last two days, but they still got Seth Lugo. So look, they're, they're in good shape here. I think the biggest question for me about this Mets team down the stretch is can they kind of figure out the back end of their bullpen over this final month? They have Diaz, they have Adovino. Who else do they have? They try to get givens at the deadline. That's been an absolute flop. He's really struggling in a Mets uniform. Trevor may, was injured for most of the year. He's starting to get back. He pitched today, got Mookie Betts out, did a pretty good job. And Seth Lugo has looked better. Can those two guys uh, really solidify that back in? Tyler McGill is right rehabbing, and he's going to be coming out of the right. bullpen. So that's my biggest question mark with the Mets moving forward, and that's what I want to see them solve over this final month of the season. Uh, just take a look at the – I mean, one thing I like about this Mets team is they seem to be getting – some of their pieces back 
just as LA is starting to lose some of their pieces. Now look at you shouldn't look ahead too much because they could very the Mets could very well face St. Louis in yeah. the division series. A couple of weeks ago, I thought St. Louis looked like the team that was going to win the World Series. And they've won as many games as the Dodgers since the trade deadline. They've been playing uh, at an absolute elite level. And, you know, what a nightmare that would be to draw them in a best of five series. Yeah. Because they can pitch, they can hit, and they are a team like Washington and Atlanta where the two most recent World Series winners from a, you know, from a full season, from not the COVID year. Um, that they won the World Series not based upon being the best team over 162 games, but by being the best team down the stretch. That's what St. Louis really looks like. And to me, I think if the Mets played L.A. in the League Championship Series, I think they beat L.A. I think they're better. I think L.A. is going to win more games, but I think the Mets are built better for a postseason series. But I don't think any team is built better than the St. Louis Cardinals. And, you know, that'd be, I, I just think that'd be worst case scenario for the Mets to draw the Cardinals. Now they could beat the Cardinals. The Cardinals aren't invincible, but man, when you think about lining up with that rotation and that lineup, I think that's the most evenly matched. It could potentially be the best potential series in the postseason. Yeah. I, I think obviously it's better to to lock up the division, lock up the buy, than have to go into the wild card round. Um, and also that that allows you to avoid the Dodgers because what's going to happen here is the Braves, if they are the the third seed, the top wild card team, and they win their wild card round, they'll have to face the Dodgers in that five game set. And as good as the Cardinals are playing, I still think you rather face the Cardinals than the Dodgers in that first round. But it's a scary team when you have Goldschmidt and Arenado that can win you a game, and suddenly if they win you game one. You have to win, you know, three or four against a Cardinals team that has been playing as well as they have. I, right. I think that the Mets um, are are certainly a much better team than the Cardinals overall. I, I think that the fact that they'll be able to to line up their pitch in the, the way they want and go Degrom Scherzer with Degrom being able to pitch a game five that that makes me feel pretty confident. But I would much rather the Padres or um, the Brewers or the Phillies or whoever the other wild card team is that goes up against the Cardinals make it out of that wild card round than to face St. Louis. Let me ask you. Obviously, on the team, the the MVP is uh, well, maybe not. Obviously, I would say it's Pete Alonso uh, would be the MVP from my point of view. But but am I uh, am I wrong? Um, who who do you think is the 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 top player on the team right now? The one that you just feel the most confident about? It's uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting question because I I think when it comes to MVP voting, Pete's gonna get more attention than any other Met. I think it's Lindor though. I I, I just know mm-hmm. that having a Gold Glove caliber shortstop out there every single day, what he does for the pitching staff, uh, and just just having that confidence in him always being out there, it's huge. And the season he's had offensively has just been really solid. I think one of the stats that I like the most about Lindor this year is each month of the season, he's hit at least four home runs and he has 14 RBIs. That doesn't jump off the page, but it's consistent uh, production month in, month out. And he's come up huge in clutch spots. Today, he won them the game. I mean, he hits the RBI double to get get them their first run or or to to tie the game, excuse me. 
Then he steals third base and gets home on a sack fly. I mean, without Lindor, they don't win that game. So I, I think Lindor is the most valuable player on the Mets. And if you look at F4, he's the most valuable. Uh, but Pete Alonso is right there. The two of them are the guys that have been in the lineup every single day. Each of them has missed just one game. And I, I think without them, that the Mets are nowhere near as, as good of a team as they've been. Well, and let's just also bring up another player who was, you know, of all the offseason acquisitions, I think people liked the acquisition of Starling Marte. Yeah. But overall, I mean, beyond the fact he's having a fine year, if you like batting average, he's got a high batting average, he's got a good OPS, he's got a good home run total. Even he'll probably finish with he'll probably finish a 2020 man. Uh, as he's 16 home runs and 18 stolen bases at this point. But it just seems like every single comeback rally or big time rally that the Mets have, Marte is somewhere in the middle of it. I don't have yeah. the stats in front of me. I'm just going by the highlights. And it's either he's getting the big hit or he's scoring from second or something. And I saw him play a bunch of games last year when he was with uh, Oakland. Um, he has been everything the 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 Mets could want and more by playing right field this year. He has been. He's made me look really smart because Starling Marte was a guy I was pining for, I think, as early as maybe even last September, honestly. I was talking about Starling Marte being uh, kind of a similar player to what Granderson was for the Mets on that 2015 team. Yeah, and, yeah. And he's just – he's one of those eye test guys where I think he's better than the stats would even indicate. Just having him out there, he's so athletic. He's been great in right field. Um, and just a, a table setter. One of the things that uh, Buck Showalter said is he learned early on that Starling Marte liked to be in one position in one spot in the order, and that's what they've done all year, right field, batting second. And yeah. I, I think that two through four in the Mets lineup has really been kind of the engine of this team, Marte, Lindor, and Pete. It's been the most consistent part of the lineup every day. That's what you're looking at. And I guess the other player to mention is Jeff McNeil. Jeff McNeil's bounced back from yeah. last season has just been huge for the Mets. Um, and and the way that he has played defensively at second base with Lindor up the middle, I'd argue it's the best double play combination in baseball right now. All right, we're here with Ryan Finkelstein of Locked on Mets. Okay, I'm going to bring this up. And I may sound like a lunatic. You may hang up the phone on me. Uh, I'm expecting angry tweets or angry responses. But I think I may be onto something. DeGrom has looked great, but I know they've been monitoring his innings quite closely. He threw seven innings on, I think it was Wednesday, but he also threw an unbelievable low number of pitches. And, uh, you know, he got through a lot of innings with with a low pitch count. And there still seems to be a little you know, as we get into these final few weeks of the season, like how many innings can he go? How many innings can he go? Here's my modest proposal. Twice in the division series, twice in the league championship series, hopefully, and twice in the world series, hopefully. And I say, hopefully from the point of view of a Met fan, please, please, I'm not showing bias here. Okay. Imagine you say, okay, DeGrom, you're going to give us four innings but they'll be the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth. <laughs> I keep thinking about Bumgarner coming out of the bullpen for the Giants, Pedro Martinez coming out of the bullpen in that clinchy game against the Indians in 1999, that when he came in, there was a sense of, oh, God, we're, we're, we're not going to win. 
and you saw them flailing and you saw them not be able to put a rally together and you tell you don't surprise DeGrom you're coming in in the sixth and you're going to give us four dominant innings and whether it's um, Carrasco or Walker whoever it is gives a you know gives a five inning start Vita Blue in the 1972 ALCS pitched the final four innings of the clinching game. You know, it's like you have this dominant weapon. You're not sure of the innings. So why don't we use that in your favor? And you're saying, we're not sure about this part of the back end of rotation or of the bullpen. Well, what about two games? You don't, Diaz, take a nap. Ottavino, stretch out. These are the two games that DeGrom is pitching the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth, and, you know, and, and, you know, if they take the lead and it's the sixth inning and they've got a rusted DeGrom pitching a four innings where he can let it all air out, and that could be two that could be two saves in the division series, two saves in the league championship series, two saves in the World Series, and you're not blowing Diaz's arm out. You're not blowing Ottavino or Lugo's arm out on those games. Um, am I crazy for suggesting that? Um, I, it's not the craziest thought. I, I think that the couple of the problems I see with it. One is it would be really unfortunate if you, you go with this strategy and Taiwan Walker gives up five runs in the first inning. And now you're kind of caught in between because you don't know if the ground can get into the game with a lead and you're kind of caught in the middle. I, I think that what we're going to see the Mets definitely utilize their starter depth in the bullpen in the playoffs. That's why I think you're onto something here because they have six quality starters this year with David Peterson, Carlos Carrasco, Chris Bassett, and Tylen Walker joining their two aces. Yeah. So it's, it's how do you leverage it? I, I think that they will likely start DeGrom to open these series. But then again, you could maybe go with Scherzer game one, DeGrom game two, and then leave it open to have Scherzer start a final game and to use DeGrom out of the bullpen on the stretch, I think they might do the exact same thing with Scherzer. So I think that's more likely. The one thing I'll say about the innings limit and all that, he has been very methodical, or the Mets have been very methodical. We'll start him in rehab. It was like one inning, two innings, three innings, get to the big league, you know, five innings, five up downs. No matter what the pitches are, you're only throwing five. He got up to seven and 93 pitches his last time out. We just have to see what he looks like down the stretch. I think in some respects, the injury could turn into a blessing in disguise because it's not DeGrom sitting at 120 innings pitched on the season right now. Um, by the end of the year, you would think his arm should be in the best possible shape. It could be to carry a workload into October, but it's it's going to be interesting to see how they manage it because like I already mentioned, the bullpen is the thing I'm, I'm most concerned about. And they do have to find a way to leverage that starter depth into helping the biggest concern on their roster right now. Thought I threw it out there. <laughs> you know, I, sometimes when you have pitchers used in an unorthodox manner in the postseason, like the um, in 2012, the Lincecum had a subpar season. He threw a no hitter, but he had a subpar season that year, and. Oh, maybe I'm mixing the years he threw a no-hitter up. But either way, he was no longer Linsicum the Magnificent. So they used him out of the bullpen for like uh, two innings, three innings. And he was marvelous. He was fantastic. Yeah. And they were able to use harness Linsicum in short bursts. And that really hamstrung the Cardinals and hamstrung uh, Detroit in winning the World Series. 
And you also saw when the, the Red Sox won the World Series in 2018, Cora used Ivaldi out of the bullpen, Sale out of the bullpen, Price out of the bullpen, Porcello became a great weapon out of the bullpen. Uh, you just use the pitchers based upon the need as opposed to anyone's roles. And even last year, you saw Scherzer coming out of the bullpen for L.A. to get the save against uh, um, San Francisco. Uh, I just I just think that would be such a demoralizing situation to yeah. know you have four innings against uh, DeGrom to finish the game out. I just, I threw that out there as a, as a way to sort of, you know, not worry about innings limits and just sort of utilizing them and giving, you know, best case scenario, giving Diaz and Lugo and Ottavino the night off those nights. It, yeah. it may be wrong, but it's just my thought. I, I think they'll probably, you know, go try. I, I think the biggest strength of this team is being able to open a series with DeGrom and Scherzer starting those first couple of games. But I think Tyler McGill is going to be that type of an X factor for this team. You know, he had a great April where he filled in for DeGrom opening day and looked like him for a month. Uh, he, he was the one who actually was on the mound to start that combined no-hitter. Then he got hurt and he struggled before the injury. Now that he's back, he struck out the side in double-A tonight. Fastball is up to 97. He's a guy that I think out of the bullpen, that fastball could play up even more than 97. Uh, and maybe making him a two-pitch pitcher with his fastball and his slider we could see something similar where a Tyler McGill could get you two innings and bridge the gap to an Edwin Diaz. So I think that's where they're heading towards more. But like I said, it's it's all about utilizing that starting rotation to help right. uh, that bullpen. Gave it a shot. <laughs> anyway, we'll look at, hey, uh, giving it a big shot is uh, Ryan Finkelstein of the podcast uh, Locked On Mets. Tell people where they can follow your show. Wherever you find Locked on MLB, you can find us anywhere where you get podcasts and also on YouTube at Locked on Mets. You can follow us on Twitter at Locked on Mets and follow me at Finkelstein Ryan. All right. And you can follow us at Locked on MLB pods for both Twitter and Instagram. I'm your pal, Sully. If you look down there, you can see my Twitter handle is Sully Baseball. My Instagram handle is Sully Baseball Podcast. Talking about the Mets, feeling good about the next few weeks and wondering if they can make DeGrom a special secret weapon. This has been Locked On MLB. It's September, folks. It's the best time of the year to be a baseball fan. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please, I'm imploring you, call me Sully.